Today is Palm Sunday. It's a, uh, a start of a brief series we are calling By Design. On Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem as king of Israel. He did so by God's design. This day had been prophesied 500, even 1,000 years previously, and he was praised as king, and rightly so. But at the end of the week, that praise was forgotten because they were expecting a different kind of king. In short, they didn't recognize him. And who do we expect Jesus to be? Do our expectations help us to recognize him when we encounter him in his word and when, we, and when he's at work in our lives? Or do our expectations obscure our view of him? Let's revisit what happened on, uh, on that day in Jerusalem and then gauge our reaction to who he is. Now, we're going to be looking mostly at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. In fact, you might turn there uh, with me, but we'll also be uh, taking additional details from the other Gospels. Now, in Jerusalem, the week before Passover was the busiest, most crowded week of the year. Today, we call it Holy Week, Passion Week, Semana Santa. It's, it's big around the world, but then... Uh, in Jerusalem, it, people, Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean area and North Africa would all converge on Jerusalem, and the population would swell, sometimes approaching a million people. Now, there was a lot of activity, but this particular Passover was different. There was both excitement and agitation in the air, and everyone was talking about Jesus. Now, some from out of town may not have heard of Jesus previously, but they surely did uh, without very much time going by. The principal reason is they heard that Jesus had recently raised a man from the dead named Lazarus. And many of the people who had been eyewitnesses of that resurrection were there in Jerusalem that day. And at the same time, the Jewish and the political re, uh, leaders were agitated. They were angry. They were fearful because they could, I mean, they were political animals. They could sense that the tide was, of popularity was turning away from them and toward Jesus, and they were upset. And they were on the lookout for Jesus that they might arrest him, but their plans went beyond that. Listen to what John writes in John 12, verses 10 and 11. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Think about that. This guy was just raised from the dead. They want to kill him. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Hmm. See, the... the only the Son of God could raise the dead. This, this I mean, the, the, the miracle was clear and irrefutable. But the leaders did not expect the Messiah to look like Jesus. And so, since they didn't recognize him, they decided he was competition who needed to be done away with. So, Jesus is preparing to enter 
In Matthew 21, Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem as the king, as had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And Jesus and the disciples were being followed by this enthusiastic crowd, many of whom had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, they, they approached Jerusalem from the east, uh, from, through the town of Bethpage and then Bethany. Uh, and, and here we begin in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 6. Now that when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go in the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, <clears throat> the fold of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And Mark adds a few more details in his account. In uh, Mark 11, verses 2 and 3, uh, Jesus said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Now this day, as we will see, is filled with those who recognize Jesus and those who don't. It's ironic that the day begins with a donkey. And the donkey recognizes who Jesus is. Now, have you ever tried to sit on an unbroken donkey? I think we have a video of one. Um, it doesn't usually work out. This, this video, I don't know whether it's there, but it, um, it's a YouTube video, and it shows uh, what happens when a tourist tries to jump on one of those wild burrows in southern Nevada. You, can, you, you know what'll happen, right? It's not going to work out so well, but this donkey, this young donkey recognized who's riding on it and is docile and obedient. The donkey recognizes Jesus. How ironic that people are the ones that struggle, right? And the disciples didn't steal the donkey. Jesus said to say, the Lord has need of it. And the owners recognized who was asking, Jesus is Lord. And so they, they said, sure. And they also had the assurance that he was going to send the donkey back. This isn't a donkey napping. And um, if Jesus says to us, here's a real challenge for me. If Jesus says, the Lord has need of some possession of mine. He wants to use it in the lives of someone else. Will I give it up that quickly? Will I recognize who's asking? And will I give it up that quickly without hesitation, just like these owners did? You see, this week is the culmination of Jesus' ministry, this, this week before he is crucified. He is preparing to enter Jerusalem as the Messiah, the triumphant king of Israel, and he is going to complete the mission that his father had sent him on. There was just one problem. People didn't recognize what that mission was, so they didn't recognize him when he arrived. 
Now, the prophet Zechariah wrote of two times that Jesus would enter Jerusalem as king. This first time was very, very different than what people expected. This is written in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, written 500 years before this moment. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the colt, a foal of a donkey. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus entered as king, but he was the lowly king. Jesus entered as the one who would go to the cross. He entered to accomplish redemption for everyone who trusts in him by offering himself as the perfect substitute for each one of us. And he did so just as the prophets had said. The pro, pro, Isaiah, Daniel, and, and uh, all the prophets spoke of this humble, lowly king who would come and suffer and die. But that's not who the people, the crowd were expecting. They were expecting someone else, so they didn't recognize him. Verses 7 through 9 speak of Jesus entering. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, him, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, Jesus enters on this, this donkey. Now, that, a donkey is not what a king usually rode. Uh, a priest might, a merchant might. He's, he is showing he's on a mission of peace. He's not on a, a stallion, a war horse. Now, laying down cloaks and palm branches was a gesture of respect for a king. It's kind of like a first century red carpet. Uh, the Greek king Alexander and the Roman emperor Agrippa were both received this way at different times when they entered Jerusalem. Same thing, cloaks and palm branches were spread on the ground. Now, at this moment, at this moment, coming into Jerusalem and lots of crowds, there's an intersection. At this moment, Jesus looked like what people thought Messiah would be. See, they were expecting a political leader. They were looking at things from the outside. And so here is Jesus, A.D. 33, right? And, and, and uh, looks, they expected him to come in and liberate them from Roman rule. They were looking for a political leader. And so here's a crowd and, you know, I, I, uh, politicians gather a crowd and it's all about themselves. That wasn't the purpose of Jesus entering at all. But that's the way they were looking at it. And so uh, at this moment, they, they greeted him as the Messiah and they greeted him accurately. Uh, in verse nine, it says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Luke adds a few more details in Luke 19 in his account. 
as Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now the people were calling out to Jesus, Hosanna. Whose Hosanna is a combination of two Hebrew words, and it means save us now. There's a note of desperation in their cry. Save us now, please. And it's an urgent plea that could only be made to a king. And they were absolutely right to cry out to Jesus, Hosanna, except he was about to save anyone who believes in him in a way they did not expect. They were expecting political deliverance. He was accomplishing eternal redemption. They didn't recognize it. And they even were quoting from and singing from Psalm 118, a time that David wrote, a psalm David wrote 1,000 years before this moment, about the moment when Jesus would present himself as the Messiah, as the King. Listen as I, I read Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Save now. That's Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They didn't expect that this Savior would be the one that the prophet Daniel wrote about who would be cut off for his people. They didn't expect, you know, they, they expected their Messiah to be, be kind of a guy, that, a magazine cover kind of guy. They didn't expect someone who had no outward beauty that we would desire him, that was despised and rejected by men, who would, on whom the Lord would lay the iniquity of us all. They didn't expect that. And so Jesus' poll numbers at this moment, you see, if, if they're looking at it in a political sense, his poll numbers were high. But then over the week, as he didn't meet their expectation, they started to drop. And then they plummeted on that Friday when the, the cries of Hosanna were replaced with crucify him. We need to be careful that we don't become disillusioned when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Now, when we believe in him, I don't know. I don't know what, what you were thinking. I, I, that was a while ago for me. I, I, you know, sometimes when we believe in, in Jesus, we think, oh, all our troubles are going to go away. I'm going to be wealthy and healthy. And wise. Um, and then we're not. And then we become disappointed in him. Most frequently, I've seen this happen when, when either uh, someone dies in an unexpected way or something tragic or violent occurs. And, and this is something we need to remember is we can get angry with God when we don't understand him, but we can still, at the same time, trust him. 
And rather than becoming disillusioned with him, our, our view of who Jesus is needs to be informed by his word. And even though we may not understand what's going on in our lives, and even though we may not like it, we can still trust him. And um, we can't completely fault these people. Um, truth be told, nobody appreciated or recognized what Jesus was doing. Uh, John is going to, we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, and we fool ourselves if we think, oh, if I was there, I would have set it straight, you know. Uh, they, they needed my great knowledge. Uh-uh. We would have done exactly the same thing. Now, you see, uh, and some of their confusion came from the fact that in, in the Bible, it talks about Jesus returning to Jerusalem as king two times. The first time, he was the lowly king, but no one is going to miss him when he returns the second time. And uh, the prophet Zechariah wrote about when Jesus returns the second time. Let, let me just read what's going to happen now. Uh, the first time, here Jesus comes in on a donkey. The second time, according to Revelation 19, he's going to arrive on a white horse. He the first place that Jesus rode down this Palm Sunday, rode down the Mount of Olives. The first place his feet are going to touch when he returns is the Mount of Olives. And that time, it's going to be very different. Listen from Zechariah 14. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to west making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north and half of it toward the south. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Many didn't recognize him when he came as the lowly king. Everyone will recognize him when he returns as ruling, reigning king of kings and lord of lords. But on that day, back in Jerusalem, uh, with verses 10 and 11, uh, nobody recognized the significance, the importance of what was happening before their very eyes. John writes in John 12, 16, his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, had, and what had been done to him. Actually, the ones who recognized and did something about it were his enemies. They saw what he did and said, but rather than believe, they regarded him as competition, as a threat to this self-serving religious system of which they were a part. Listen, in, in John continues in, in John 12, verses 17 through 19, describing uh, what was going on among the people. The crowd that had been with them when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They were telling everybody. The reason why the crowd went to meet him on Palm Sunday was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that we're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You see, they're looking at things politically. We got to do something about this. Our poll numbers are shrinking and his are going up. We've got to do something. 
And the reaction among the crowds is summarized by Matthew in verses 10 and 11. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jerusalem was in a complete uproar. There, there's all kinds of rumors and accounts that were just washing back and forth. You could hear shouts of praise and worship and then expressions of hatred at the same time. And people were right to say, who is this? Who is Jesus? And you know, that's the most important question that each one of us face. A.W. Tozer once wrote, the thoughts that enter our minds when we think of God are the most important thing about us. It reveals whether we recognize him or not. The most popular answer that, of that question that day was this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. What most people were saying was this is a great man. Like, like Moses or Elijah. Now, a few wondered whether he was the Messiah, the, the coming prophet uh, foretold by Moses. Now, they, they knew that Jesus had lived in Nazareth, that's true, but nobody mentioned that he had been born in Bethlehem, which was the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah. So they didn't really understand who Jesus is. And again, isn't it amazing that we are the only part of God's creation made in his image, yet we have the most trouble recognizing who Jesus is. I keep thinking of that donkey, you know? As the week wore on and people, people began to be disillusioned, if he could speak, he'd probably say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't you know? I know who he is. Don't you? Now, um, to illustrate the, the challenge, it, it, despite the evidence, despite the evidence, people were having trouble recognizing who Jesus is. Watch what happens when Jesus goes through the gate. He enters Jerusalem, and then he goes into the temple. Matthew writes uh, further in verses 14 through 16, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. That's what Jesus had done for the past three years. That's what he always had done. The chief priests and the scribes were standing there watching this. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what those children are saying? And Jesus said to him, yes. Yes. Have you never heard out of the mouths of infants and nursing, nursing babies, you have prepared praise for himself? He healed the lame and the blind right before their very eyes. Yet their response was indignation because their expectation was blinding them to recognizing who Jesus is. Luke talks about how upset the Pharisees became as the people worshiped Jesus. And, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, if Jesus was a, a merely a political leader, as they were thinking, uh, the Pharisees' objections would be justified because no man, no angel should ever receive worship. Only God alone. But Jesus wasn't a political leader. He was the Messiah. He was the King of Israel. He was our King, our Savior, our Lord, appearing as had been prophesied as the servant who would suffer and save us from our sins. So kind of a takeaway thought is, is this on your handout. Jesus has presented himself as our Savior and Lord. That's who he is. He didn't need popularity. He didn't need crowds. He didn't need one person to believe in order for that to be true. But he wants us to recognize him, trust him, and follow him. Just, just some thoughts about that. Um, what are the first thoughts that come to our minds when we hear the name Jesus? Who is he? Now, if, if you are honest and you honestly have questions, if you, if you honestly say, I don't know, I don't know who Jesus is, that's all right. We would invite you, let today be the day you begin to answer that question. Talk to somebody that you know. Talk to one of uh, the, the pastors here, one of the elders, one of the people who are going to be up here to, to uh, pray with you if you'd like. Let today be the day that you begin to find out who Jesus is. Now, for most of us, we, we have believed that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, but where we might struggle is with the trusting him and following him in everything. Uh, as, as Kurt reminded us so well a couple of weeks ago, uh, believing in Jesus is not a one-and-done thing. It's not like purchasing eternal fire insurance. It's an everyday trusting Jesus as our Lord. That he, it's all about relationship. Christianity makes no sense if you look at it as a self-help program. It makes all the sense in the world if you look at it as relationship with the living God. And we, we, need to, we just need to be careful that our expectations of Jesus are those that come from his word. And is there an area in which you feel disappointed with God? And like I said, it's okay to, to struggle, to have, uh, you know, disagreements with God. God, why did you allow this to happen? I don't think that's right. That's okay, but you can still trust him. We need to keep growing in knowing who Jesus is and having our expectations of him match what he says about himself in the word. And, and so even and especially those of us who know Jesus need ongoing prayer and, and help to discern who he is and what he's doing in our lives today. Let's pray. Lord, we are 
so thankful that you in eternity past were willing to, to become a man and to live a life that you will replicate in us as we trust in you and depend upon your Holy Spirit and then to die in our place, to pay for every sin we've ever committed or will commit. And that you rose from the dead to give us a brand new life now. Lord, um, all of us struggle. All of us struggle with something. Some sin that keeps haranguing us from our flesh. Some something that's happened, maybe a relationship, uh, a disappointment. And we, we wonder sometimes in that that wondering can cause us to not trust you. Lord, help us to recognize you at work in our lives. Help us to encourage others because by doing so, we will be encouraged ourselves. Thank you for who you are and everything you continue to do in our lives. And we are dismissed in the mighty and powerful name of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus. Amen.